0: The following discussions are a further look into Director Thomas W. Arlington and the tumultuous events of the final year of the Grant administration. This won't be an easy road to walk down, but I have faith that we will be stronger for following it to its conclusion. Through the Wind Door
1: This confrontation ends with what would seem to be the first time the phrase, you must be the best of men or be no man at all. Mm -hmm. We originally talked about that phrase way back when we covered Secret Rooms, but that was Mm -hmm. Secret Rooms Definitive Edition. So his use of the phrase in that setting, where Vincent Penrose speaks it to his son, meant that it was originally meant for a piece of work that he wrote after he wrote Arlington.
0: Exactly. So,
1: so the circumstances are different under which the words were said. What do we think Seth means here as opposed to how we previously heard it?
0: You know, for a moment between Through the Wind Door uh, conversations that Greg and I have, when I revisited that and went, wait, 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 I had one moment of a crack theory of Holy shit, Vincent Penrose's Seth Like <laughs> Which I kind of came down from that The moment passed I don't think that's the case mm-hmm. uh, I think that it is just a case of Using two very dominating and domineering men to, Who are saying this phrase mm-hmm. And to compare and contrast the citations of them mm-hmm. So when Vincent Penrose says it He essentially meant it in the sense of you must climb the ranks to the point where those around you are beneath you. Anything less is unacceptable. With Seth, I take it more along the lines that in order to survive, Thomas, and by extension the people under his leadership, i.e. the unruly children of America that are his charge, must evolve and become the best versions of themselves, progressing beyond their regressive tendencies. If they cannot do this, then they shall disappear off the face of the earth, whether by Seth's intervention or by their own hand. They must individually and collectively be the best of their own species, or else be nothing at all. I definitely think that that makes
1: sense from a thematic sense. I think, Mm. in terms of how Seth is voicing it in the moment, that he's trying to make a commentary on. Thomas himself Mm. But I mean We know that there are always layers to these things That's the way Alex intends it
0: Alex, you forget, is Hailing from the UK We're used to dressing things in layers (laughs) Wait, is that a cooking joke? No, 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 that's just the fact that It's like bloody cold and wet here So we (laughs) tend to dress in layers
1: Oh, okay, it's a weather joke, of course Yeah uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No higher
0: form of wit or more interesting subject to conversation than the fucking weather.
1: <laughs> well, you know, from everything that Alex has said about the way his migraine conflicts with your bloody English weather, you know, the weather is a great concern to him because if he can't think to be able to write, that's. You know, that's significant and everything like that.
0: It's another day in England and Alex Shaw curses the heavens.
1: <laughs> and wants the hell to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think in the moment, if we, if we look at it from the layer in which Seth is actually talking with Thomas, he's making a commentary on what he believes Thomas's essential nature to be or that what he believes Thomas is striving to be, which I think is a very accurate assessment of, if we take into account Thomas's humiliation at the way things went with trying to acquire Sarah's freedom from her owners, Mm. when we think about how he wants to present himself to the world, how he wants to be in conversation with others, how he wants others to agree with him that his mm. ideas are the best and that's why he doesn't want to be like Tremaine and everything like that. Yes. It's that's what Seth is saying to Thomas. What Seth is saying to the audience or what saying Seth is saying as a part of the greater metaphor is probably more along the lines of what you just said there. Mm. Um but we like the layers, you know? Mm. I think if I take any issue with it at all, it's the gendered aspect of what he's saying, because we absolutely believe, you know, be the best of men or be no man at all would come from someone specifically like Vincent, who very much believes, or we believe would believe, in the superiority Mm. of men over women and everything like that.
0: I think that when Vincent is saying that he is leaning into the, like, he is seeing the gender of the term of like, you must be like the best of men or be no man at all.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that uh, when Seth voices it, I see it more in a sort of population of like, you must be the best, like, of like, sort of using humanity. men as a collective humanity. To him, it is synonymous with just humanity. It's incidental that Thomas is a man, it's just like, be the best of your kind or you'll be not, nothing at all.
1: Or alternately, he could be acknowledging some of the racial aspect of the well, and be suggestive of, like, you know, white men have, in theory, brought this nation to where it is, mm. and that he can prove that he is not chattel to these right. white men by proving that he is more than worthy to stand up with, if not even above them, uh, in spite of the way that powerful white men have tried to claim that mm. black people are, in fact, not people at all.
0: Well, this ties into a okay. part of their conversation where Seth is laying the blame for what the population of America have done to people like the Native Americans or to the people who have come mm. to their shores. And Thomas is saying, like, are you seriously blaming me for like what the people who enslaved me and mine... Are you seriously like laying the same play? And Seth is saying, like, if you don't do it, like, who is going to? Mm-hmm. So, that is probably, I think you may be right that, like, that is another aspect to what he is saying. It's like, mm-hmm. look, this may not have been directly your fault, but you have to be the best of men and, like, take accountability for this. Or if you don't take accountability for this, then you are not part of them at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah you have stood up for your own agency prove that you can be better that came before those by mm. actually caring about people that don't look like you as that's, you claim to yeah that's it so we just talked for a very long time about chapter 23
0: mm-hmm. so let's move on Oof. to. i'm i'm just really glad that we don't have any weighty chapters ahead of us to talk about in this session
1: uh-huh yeah exactly Chapter 24, divided among many voices. Mm -hmm. Fascinatingly, none of them explicitly being journal entries. So we don't necessarily know that if these are thoughts that others might peruse as being a part of the goals identified by Thomas way back in the cartographer's handbook and everything like that. We, the audience, are bearing witness to these thoughts. Um, whether they were written down or not because we need them in order to resolve, at the very least, most of the book up till this point. We need to check in. Yeah, exactly. Especially, So so much has happened at this point. Mm. And also, this is going to be set up for Steamheart. A lot of what chapter 24 is basically like, okay, we're not having a whole lot of personal interaction in here. We're just Mm. like, these are going to be the important people that are going to be relevant in the book to come and there's the implication that the Steamheart expedition has gone out but like stuff continues to happen after they're gone and everything like that. So in some ways right. chapter 24 bookends not all of Steamheart but like a portion of the events of Steamheart
0: mm. and
1: we don't even know exactly how far in the future chapter 25 itself is although it alludes to the fact that since Raven is doing a whole bunch of narrating of that chapter, it must have occurred after Steamheart got back.
0: I think that's why we check in with the people we do in 24 but we don't hear from them in 25 because Mm. Raven is the only character we have confirmation made it back from the expedition Mm. on Steamheart everyone else it's up in the air about Mm -hmm. essentially. I think that was a important point of consideration for Alex. Uh, I don't think this is a uh, spoiler to give this away, but it was an important thing for him to know that the Steamheart expedition would cost something. Mm-hmm. And that that was a sense that we, the audience, and perhaps even the characters, went into the expedition knowing or feeling to some mm-hmm. degree. So that's why it's good to check in with them here and then, twenty-five is as we're getting the specific reflection on everything that's happened in this Arlington, rather than. Mm-hmm. And here's a summary of everything and everyone from Steamheart. That's not yeah. what this book is about, so it's Steamheart good to gets check. Its in. Own
1: aftermath when that happens. Yeah,
0: we get to check in with all the relevant people who have been a part of this book, but who will also. Get like, you know, they will return in Steamheart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that means we hear from Jeremy, we hear from Annie and Butler as well. To, uh, and that, so, you know, when we were starting with the chapter with Seth, you were saying that, like, that's the chapter that has the climax of the book. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure because I think that this chapter has multiple climaxes. Good <laughs> oh. night, everybody. <laughs>
1: oh dear! Holy oh, yeah, shit! Yeah, that. there is a lot of sex that is both alluded to and even like
0: some of it is not
1: really alluded. It is no, as there...
0: upfront as you can get.
1: Well, I'm just well, so what I'm saying is is that all of these are like firsthand accounts of what happened, or some particularly explicit opinions as voiced by Sarah Arlington. But if you actually go to the audio drama, there's some voice acting in the background of the audio drama, which would be far more visually acted out. Were there, say, you like a a visual version of this particular story? Hmm. So yeah, Yeah, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. (laughs) Hmm. But in terms of content worth mining out and discussing opinions Mm. and analysis and everything like that, I came to you with a couple of different topics.
0: Uh Yeah.
1: And again, um, I'm going to start with your response to the question I asked, but also contribute to the content of some of the conversations I had with Maureen on this subject as I was fleshing out my own opinion. And get your mind out of the gutter with that fleshing out bit. That was not an intent innuendo. I can assure you that it would be far more obvious if I were to do that sort of thing. Maureen will definitely be contributing further to Through the window, but that part of our lives is not for posterity. I may not be the very model of a modern major general, but I still don't kiss and tell. We come to Annie first, and Mm. she talks about her reunion with Butler and her processing her encounter with Seth, And the question I put to you is what do we believe was in Annie's head when Seth said she was of two minds and Annie admits it to herself in private?
0: That a not insignificant part of her longed to shed the weight of human existence and embrace the comforting simplicity and invigorating primal nature of a Wendigo's existence and that despite the part of her that won out, the the part of her soul that compels her to stay and look out for the people she cares for and keep fighting in their name, that doesn't dispel that other part of her. The impulse remains, even if her resolve keeps her in this human life, at least for now. In short, She has realized through her encounter with Seth that her dedication to her role as a respected agent of the RSA, to her loved ones, and to her ongoing drive to continue living her life is challenged by the uneasy truth that she will always be tempted to give in to the call of the wild.
1: See, I want to give your response the respect of actual consideration of it. The issue that I had with this moment at first was, mm. like, why is that even a consideration of hers? We don't necessarily know enough about her story to understand why she might respond to such a call of the wild. She, I guess, to a certain extent, was a hunter at some point. So maybe... That
0: does she... come up in the yeah. That
1: Okay, yeah. Spoiler enough to now. say yes. Yeah. She Mm. used to be a hunter. That used to be a form of existence for her. Mm. And that may be part and that. uh... Yeah, exactly. That may be part and parcel with a primal instinct that she wants to return to. But on top of that, there were things that Maureen and I discussed out, which is the idea. And again, this is something that is going to be reflected on more in Steamheart, but I feel like I can discuss it now because there is enough implication in terms of the way women exist in a male dominated society, but also just in terms of the way Annie has been presented thus far in terms of her responsibility and the fact that she is not just a member of the RSA, but as a captain, is a leader with other people reporting to her and looking to her for guidance. Part of Seth's offer may indeed have gone back, as you say, to an earlier, simpler life for her, but maybe just as much about being weighed down by her responsibility. Yes. And about the difficulty she has had in society, but also with her rank and the things that she is asked to do for the greater good, you know, that on some level she just wants to be so completely done with it to have no responsibility other than to take care of herself or maybe a couple of other people to live a simple mm-hmm. life, as opposed to being pulled down by society's expectations of her as a leader or of her as a woman, mm. you know, that's some of what Maureen was responding to in terms of, and I can definitely mm. see, you know, it's just how it, it's exhausting existing as a man in some ways in society's climate as well. It's just that the pressures on men are very different and the pressures on women are far more and are far just in terms of, like, the dangers inherent mm. in being a woman in a male-dominated mm. society as well.
0: There's but, extra layers to that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm. And far more unfair layers. You know, it there's a struggle in terms of privilege in any society. Mm. And just because men have more privilege doesn't mean that we won't call each other on court either. It's just we do... We do it in different ways, Mm. men to other men, as opposed to men to women. Let Them Go was all about that, about Rebecca and Amanda trying to find happiness in a world that was very restrictive of the roles women could have in it. Rebecca will come back into the story in later books, but as it reflects on all that she has lost, all the darkness she has experienced along the way, she doesn't really have that much room to consider any freedom she may have gained in the process. Annie's story, meanwhile, is one of a young woman on the frontier, which means she started with more freedom, but also fewer resources, just trying to subsist day to day. As Steamheart will reveal, for at least some of that, she only had herself or her immediate family to be concerned about. The RSA may have given her agency, But it also came with a hefty price tag. As the saying goes, the reward for work well done is more work. As we will get into in some later reflections on books that are in the new century oeuvre, it's not simply a humanity thing that finds itself that male-dominated society exists for just humanity, but for Mm -hmm. other humanoid species as well, unfortunately. Mm.
0: To get back to something you mentioned with uh, the insight that Maureen provided of the fact that Annie is like compelled by the uh, notion of abandoning, or not necessarily abandoning, but just setting them down, Mm -hmm. her responsibilities as a leader, because, lest we forget, her encounter with Seth happened just as she lost someone following her that the idea of like oh my god someone who deserved to live who I helped save and couldn't save him again I couldn't save him again how many more am I going to have to do that through like in Annie's first conversation with Catherine
2: Mm. she
0: says In all likelihood, like I might bury them myself, talking about James and Abigail, and that sounds like someone who is saying that from experience. Carl is another person that, like, whether literally or not, to be honest, I imagine she probably did immediately. Whether or not this was said in the text, but after Seth left, I imagine the first thing that Annie did was to bury Carl,
1: or not. For all we know, the body of Carl was food for Seth and his family, not even giving Annie that small closure.
0: That's definitely one of the most compelling things that she will continue to have to reconcile, is Mm. the notion that, as Seth says, think on what you gave up, or what you turned down, rather. Mm.
1: I think we'll leave that there for now, because... Mm. Annie's journey is going to be developed a whole lot more in Steamheart oh, goodness, because it's yes. it's a cocktail of so many different personalities, mm. both solitary and interacting with each other. But I wanted to at least talk about Seth's offer and her response to it, since that is part of the narrative of Chapter 24. The next thing that I ended up discussing was the very next point of view mm. in Chapter 24 which is Jeremy. With the reintroduction of Jeremy, because he's come up mm. a couple of times at this point, mm. but we've never actually seen him in a front-facing role, mm. which sort of he alludes... Needs focus. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He needs focus because, as, as it was I went on to say, he will be one of the protagonists of the next book. He Yay. will be... Yes, exactly so. Yep. It, we, he will be one of the people whose journal entries mm-hmm. we see more of. Mm. And... Here, we get to see more insight into the man through Mm -hmm. his excitement with what he learns about Mm -hmm. Seth and the implication that he is now going to be one of the people that is going on the Steamheart expedition, but also his intimate relationship with Donald. In them, we can see a similarity as Annie with Butler, as Thomas with Sarah, two people that have made a home together Two people that will want to return to each other. And their intimacy, both sexual and non, is a balm among the unresolved issues that Arlington, the story, has brought to light. And is basically Mm. also a reflection of the rejoining of Annie with Butler and Thomas with Sarah, as they have all been through their own issues throughout the story.
0: Mm. And they all have had some contact with Seth, to some degree, and with...
1: Well, in the case of Jeremy, it's more in it's... like, t- tell me tell me everything, because that's the kind
0: mm. of person that Jeremy is. I forget the wording, but I think there is something about how, like, possibly because Jeremy was probably the first one to talk with, uh, like, one of the first people to want to talk with Thomas in excess detail, that... Ooh, that pun was like a
1: landmine excess detail indeed I didn't notice it at the time and Toby ran over the top of it so quickly that I almost missed it in the
0: edit too because I think that is definitely something is that like we're seeing that there is some sort of potential pheromone that may have actually be at work here or maybe I'm reading too much into that but
1: um, also just thinking about it for a second here we know that Jeremy is full of questions
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: Jeremy is going to go on the Steamheart expedition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We also know that Seth doesn't like questions. <laughs> this almost makes us afraid for Jeremy at this
2: point. Oh, dear. Because oh, no. is
1: Jerry, Jeremy going to be able to hold himself back if they actually get an opportunity to talk with Seth again? And given Seth's response to questions from less excited people is this going to be like oh oh, holy shit uh, is jeremy going to be able to unable to hold back his questions and seth's just going to come over and twist his poor head off no no we don't want to see that oh, happen
0: i i think that what would probably happen is that seth responds with bemusement of just like okay well you're not lying that's a first uh <laughs> i'm not sure i prefer this
1: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: We'll have lots to say about Jeremy's
1: own journey in due course, but it's not hard to see that Harry and Jeremy will have some similarity in experience. Harry was protected from the outside world by her father, and Jeremy has spent his career behind a desk, wanting to go out and experience the things he's only got to hear about. In the presence of Seth himself, even his natural exuberance
0: might be stilled by the eyes of a predator. I, I love Jeremy so much. He is, yeah. if I was a character in New Century, I would most likely be Jeremy. I am, <laughs> believe.
1: Fair enough, fair enough.
0: And I am very happy with that. But I think that we can all very much appreciate the direct approach to confirming Jeremy and Donald's relationship with zero room for misinterpretation. The quote, We fucked like bunnies. This ain't no holding hands in the very last scene of a show's run or timid dipping of the toe into gay waters. This just says, yes, these two men have also been affected by whatever's been going on with the hetero couples, and we can assure you it was just as steamy.
1: I I just really liked the way Matt voiced that Mm. particular moment because Mm. it, it, it includes the sort of excited gleeful nature that jeremy brings into all other aspects of his life mm. and like maybe you're not entirely comfortable with the idea of two men being intimate even if you are supportive of lgbt issues but how can you be mad about someone that is it's, clearly having so much fun being intimate with their male partner as jeremy, jeremy
0: is absolutely the friend who overshares, and you go like <laughs> jeremy <laughs> jeremy tmi like and then donald did the thing from something with his finger and that did like jeremy <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but to bounce off of that like it just it's so nice to hear that it's also just really nice to hear the emotional reasoning that leads Jeremy to his supposition for like why they felt like that need and impulse to let some of this excess energy out it just emphasizes the dynamic and the interpersonal relationship between him and Donald that stresses the emotional benefits and self-healing that this did for them Same as for Annie and Butler or Thomas and Sarah.
1: Alternately, one could look back at the earlier scene where Thomas is working late into the night and Sarah has a heck of a time convincing him to take a break. Jeremy seems similarly like a workaholic, but for different reasons. He isn't carrying around the same burden of purpose as Thomas. Therefore, I imagine Jeremy scribbling away and Donald coming up with that charming Scottish brogue and suggesting in a solemn way that he'll work better after using up some excess energy. Only Donald has a much easier time of it, considering Jeremy's words suggest,
2: hmm,
0: multiple rounds in one night. As much as the juxtaposition of the three instances gets your mental theory gears potentially spinning as to, like, is there some sort of reason that this is all happening or like mm-hmm. simultaneously beyond just emotional catharsis for like reaching this stage of the book like literally we are at the climax of the book so like despite my joking it's actually <laughs> not a bad way to end a book not at all mm-hmm. but despite like all of that it's just heartwarming to see some of our cast members have a chance for recuperation through connection with a loved one And the explicit confirmation it brings to Jeremy and Donald's relationship just brings even more love into this story. And that makes us just all the more invested in the future escapades of this pair of characters.
1: So I do want to move on to the thing that you added immediately after that, because Mm -hmm. it feels tied together a little bit with your earlier point. Mm -hmm. But thematically, or Mm -hmm. in terms of the structure of a story, though we joke about the you know the uh, double meaning of climax in terms of the dramatic culmination of events and uh, the dramatic culmination of events that is the end result of a satisfying sexual encounter the significant here of why i say that the climax has already happened so to speak is that in some ways chapter 24 is the breathing out one might almost say mm. Of everything having have come to a head with everything that happened with Annie and with Thomas, the confrontation between Thomas and Seth has happened now. And we, the audience, are getting a chance to just relax in something simpler and less dramatic, of couples reuniting. Physically, Mm. emotionally, we've been brought to the peak of tension, and now we get this moment to relax a little Mm. bit with these intimate moments of the couples and everything like that. That's why I say the climax has already happened, so to speak, because Mm. now we get to relax afterwards and take a breath after being worried for the lives of the important people here. Although, obviously, as the... (sighs) As the chapter ends up, Ugh. we finally have the thing that we were promised at the very beginning with Annie's... I would
0: have been fine with this promise not being fulfilled.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ugh. exactly. But but there there is thematic importance to that as mm-hmm. well. So before we have to talk about the ultimate culmination of the story here, let's go on to talk about some of the lighter aspects to it that you wanted to get into.
0: So Sarah's words in her last narrated section as she reflects on sex and the clarity and perspective it brings on life is pertinent to these closing chapters. From discussions of the little death to that melancholy experience compared to the after effects of reading a book of profound emotional impact, as if the book is reflecting on the emotional place we're about to leave ourselves in. Mm, mm. In Sarah's words, she would not wish to face a life devoid of that heady cocktail, for it leaves everything vivid and worth pondering. It connects you to the bloodstream of the universe. It's profound and serene, if a little sad, and Mm. it's almost as if without her even knowing it Sarah is offering some sort of comfort and consolation to the reader as they're about to enter into this point of emotional devastation and just Mm. it's a place of this heavy part of the book is going to hurt like hell but sometimes that's what you need in life and whether it's Sarah or just the author's opinion or just like my own mirrored in all of this I definitely agree with the sentiment that I would not want to face a life without that cocktail of realization of just how affirming it is to live life as you can, when you can.
1: (sighs) The thing is, all of this makes sense in hindsight, Mm. but the audience reading this in the moment has seen quote, unquote, the climax, Thomas and Seth, and may have, in the heat of everything else that has gone on, forgotten mm. about the death that Annie promised. We're mm. like, oh, the big thing has happened. Thomas didn't die. Great. Everything will be fine from here on in. We'll see everybody clean everything up. We'll we'll have our happy ending. And then, of course, the end of chapter 24 happens, And we're like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, We haven't let you off the hook. The bad thing still happens. We just Mm. gave you a quiet moment in between. It's a buffer before the tragedy that has to come. And it reminds me for good reason of Spike Lee's depiction of the life of Malcolm X. The quiet moment there is the conversation Malcolm has with his wife before the scene at the Audubon Ballroom. In point of fact, between that and the way that the biopic ends, trying to show the lasting impact of Malcolm X on events and people in the far future, is not unlike what Arlington itself does. It has to do more, of course, since it may be the end of Thomas' story, but it's not the end of the story of New Century. And as we'll get into, what comes next is also far darker. But the way these final moments are sandwiched together definitely feels like Lee's work had an influence on this
0: story. We should really know at this point in our read-through of New Century that when Alex promises or is delivering a quiet moment, that doesn't mean shit, like Mm -hmm. a a character we like will still die soon, it happened with Aunt Cleo and let them go in a chapter literally called A Quiet Moment, Mm -hmm. and here it is, he's pulling the same trick again, god damn it. Again,
1: once more, take into consideration. This is
0: technically well. No,
1: (laughs) this is technically the first time he did it because "Let Them Go" was written after Arlington. But yeah, I mean, we read these in the order that they happened, so it's not unusual. It's not
0: unusual. (laughs) Uh, I knew. I knew. (laughs) If you weren't going to do that, I was going to burst into that. Yeah.
1: Alex likes to reuse themes. He likes to reuse plot devices. He loves the flashbacks again and again, bringing those in in order to add greater context to stuff that's already happened. These particular literary devices are going to be used again and again just in different ways so that it doesn't doesn't become stale or anything like that
0: come to think of it like you mentioned flashbacks and i know that uh alex was talking about this at one point recently on the discord but i think this book is one of the few times where there's not necessarily a direct flashback there is no. absolutely a narrated example of it in the sense of thomas and sarah sharing with those around them the story of their past mm-hmm. so like we achieved the effect of, of A flashback, absolutely. But uh, whereas in Let Them Go and Tiger's Eye and the definitive edition of Secret Mm -hmm. Rooms, I don't think that there was actually a flashback in the original example. Essentially, Cartographer's Handbook is a retrospective, like up and down all the way. So this is one of the first examples in terms of the chronology that New Century exists at this point in time, where we don't get all that many like direct mm-hmm. flashbacks to the past.
1: Yeah, it's true. Everybody's got to switch it up every now and then. Sometimes oh, yeah. certain, certain times are useful for certain kinds of tactics. Hmm. A lot of New Century, for example, keeps liking to go back to the well of these are journal entries somewhere and we've just composed them into a literary form, much like a tweet deck. For, for Twitter threads and everything like that. So, switching it up... The
0: cartographer's tweet deck.
1: Oh, God. Uh, I wouldn't want to see the, uh, the the mentions, the replies on the fucking Cartographer's handbook. So, yeah, it makes sense to do things differently depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell. At this point in the edit, I had to ask myself, am I going to try and do one long episode or do two smaller ones? And I ended up deciding to do the latter, since that will give us more room to breathe before we move on to Behind the White Scarves. Plus, there were going to be outtakes to add, and some more editorial inserts, since there were new ideas to add in, or details that I forgot to talk about during the recording. Not to mention, if I end the episode here, it ends on a lighter note. And goodness knows, there have been few enough of those during this journey. Among some of those details were the names of Steed and Latrum, the sharpshooters to replace Annie and Frank. I'd always assumed Steed was a reference to John Steed of the old school Avengers, no, not that one. Latrum, however, was not a reference I was familiar with. And I was shocked and somewhat amused to discover that it was an alias for the character of Lord Boreal in the His Dark Materials series. Not at all thematically appropriate, but I suppose it's a serviceable enough name to reuse. Another detail was in how the literary depiction of the assassination of the Arlington's made me think of what I knew of the death of Franz Ferdinand and his wife. Among the chaos, the dying words husband and wife say to each other make me think of the final words of the Archduke himself as he lay dying. It at least leaves the end of the chapter more poignant than the death of Malcolm did punctuated by violence against the shooter. And now I've made myself sad again, so best to stop here. To close us out, I waffled back and forth on what song to use. Breaking Benjamin seemed both too depressing and too white. Marvin Gaye was a choice, but I didn't know that a song about the Vietnam War hit the right notes. There was at least one amazing song by Kendrick Lamar that I wanted to use, and then realized it could be a spoiler, so I'll have to save it for the future. I was finally going to go with Puff Daddy's tribute to Biggie Smalls, even though the song was a little bit too specific to that death, when I was reminded of a song I was more familiar with that would work for the sentiment I wanted to convey. So until next time, this is Boys to Men, with... It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday.
2: How do I say